0: This is the Conduit Church Teaching Podcast. Thanks for joining us. It's our mission to be a conduit of Jesus to the community in front of us and the world around us, starting with the teaching of His Word. Enjoy the message. Would you open your Bibles to the book of of Mark? Um, We're going to be in chapter 14. And I'm just going to read verses 1 through 11. Verse 1, now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away. The chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, where the the people may riot. So there's a lot of people in Jerusalem, a lot going on. Jesus is kind of built in his popularity. So this is their way of trying to take out what we would maybe call a political candidate without having a riot on their hands so verse three, while he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper. That's why when you see me in my house and I kick my feet up, I'm just, you know, what would Jesus do? You know, he would put his feet on the furniture. So he (laughs) is reclining. Simon the leper, I love that, because obviously he wasn't a leper anymore, because nobody would be in that house, but he has clearly been healed. And a woman came with an alabaster jar very it's full of very expensive perfume made of the purest and boy, is this not the best word ever? Nard. <laughs> from the Nard dog. This is "Nard. Which, by the way, it comes from uh, Nepal. I found that out when we were uh, in Nepal, like the Himalayan mountains, you could buy you a big old jar of Nard if you want me to bring that back for you the next time I go. She broke the jar poured the perfume on his head. Now some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why waste this perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. And that word rebuked her harshly was they were mad, like they were snarling. This was like like an Antifa protest. And they're just mad, like yelling and screaming. And Sorry, my apologies to fans of Antifa. Um, So they're yelling at her, rebuking her harshly, and Jesus uh, says, leave her alone, verse six. Why are you bothering her? And I love this. She has done something beautiful to me. You know that when I am faithful, right, to my wife, I am not faithful for my wife. I'm faithful to my wife. That's totally different language. She did this to him, not for him. And in that is some language that we're going to learn today of how our relationship with the Father and with Jesus works. So he goes on to say, the poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want. And we at Conduit take that very literally. We help them every time we want, which is just about every day. Um, We're constantly helping those who are in need. But you won't always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly I tell you that wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. And then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. And So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. Uh, It's interesting to me that there are two stories being told here, that this story about Mary is going to be told from this day forward about this woman here. But there's also another story that's going to be told from this day forward about a guy named Judas. So there are two stories unfolding here. And by the way, when you read the book of Mark, Mark drops this sin, I believe, inspired by the Holy Spirit in the middle of this. This is not chronological like it is in Matthew and in John. So he is clearly juxtaposing something here. The story of Judas and the story of of Mary. And when you look at the story of Mary, it's a story of of her beauty, the beautiful thing that you've done for me today. It's a story of, of surrender, her surrendering, dumping the whole thing out, surrendering it. And it's a story of the intimacy that she had with the Lord. Contrasted with Judas, who had a story that was the exact opposite of that. He didn't do something beautiful. He betrayed Jesus. His was a story of betrayal. His is a story of not surrender, but of silver. The idea of 30 pieces of silver to this day is told 2,000 years later. And his story was not one of intimacy, but one of going after the institution, after religion, and not after Jesus. And As I was praying about that, I'm like, I really want my story to look more like Mary, like that's the one I want, but if I'm being really honest, sometimes my story feels more like Judas, and maybe yours does too. And if we have a spectrum, I'm not saying that there's one or the other, it's almost like there's a spectrum of somewhere between Judas and Mary. Like, discipleship is moving the tick, one more closer to Mary, one further away from Judas. In our lives. And my question for all of us is what do you want your story to be? I was sitting with Richard Verbosky last night. Richard is uh, was given some news that wasn't exactly what he was looking for. He's been battling with pancreatic cancer. Uh, Richard's ready to go home, by the way. He has a couple things he wants to do. He wants to sell a horse. If anybody wants to buy a horse, Uh, I I, I know when you can get one right now. Uh, He wants to do a couple things, tie up some loose ends. He just wants to be with Jesus. But I was watching, I'm like, what is Richard's story? I mean, Richard the cowboy, right? Richard the guy that came to Christ later in his life. Richard the guy that humbly stood up here being baptized at 69 years old for the first time in his life. Remember the stretchy pants and the and he sort of floated in the water. It was like you know, it was awesome. Like I thought I didn't know he'd be nearly as buoyant as he was, right? Like like, I mean, put some weight on him, but um, but that's a story of Richard that maybe Richard's life as his life started might have looked more like Judas and the. Further down the line he's getting, he's looking more like Mary, and maybe that's the story that you want as well. I mean, I, I know I do. That's God, I mean, this is God's word. I want to pray, and then I want to share with you what I think these differences are and what they might look like in our, in our lives as we move forward. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for your word. It's a light and it's a lamp. It's a promise for us. This is not just some intellectual exercise. This is a genuine question. How do we pursue a life like Mary of Bethany? There's something about Mary. There's something in that that we can learn for us here today, and it's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Beauty versus betrayal. That's the first thing. You see that she's done something beautiful for him. She takes this alabaster box I used to represent a client in in the 90s that I probably I don't know if I can see her name right anyway but she had a song made a really famous called alabaster box and if I'm being honest I didn't ever really listen to that song because I didn't have to because we were busy booking shows but but I listened to it late like oh that's actually a really beautiful song about this idea of this box that when it was broken pouring this over his head and it in the beauty of what she was doing, he says, he says that she's done something beautiful for me. She was anointing his body for burial. So if, if you don't, if you're just reading Mark, you don't know this, but in John 12 and in Matthew 26, this same story is recorded. And what we know from those is that this is actually at Lazarus. Uh, Lazarus is sitting there. Lazarus has just been raised from the dead. you remember the story of Lazarus? She, he Four days, he'd gotten there, he was dead, and, and Jesus, they're saying, hey, roll, roll away the stone, and they're like, whoa, bro, he's, he stinketh, like we don't want to roll away that stone, um, but he says, roll it away, and Lazarus is alive now, so this is happening right after this, now, I know that in the south, when we have a funeral, we all come together and we bring casseroles and we gorge ourselves and there's food and there's a festival and a feast and I'm not 100% sure what the etiquette is for a resurrection. You know, I don't know, do you send out like an e for that? Like, I'm not sure. But doesn't it feel like a feast would be an appropriate response? I mean, he's been dead four days. He's got to be starving, right? So, so they, load, they load up for this dinner. So you got Lazarus at this table. We know that we've got uh, Simon, this guy that was a leper that's been healed. Lots of Jews and that, everybody—that's who's sitting at this table, and that's where Mary comes in. And we know that it's Mary who is the brother of Lazarus. Okay, so imagine, okay, so Laura, let's imagine your brother got dead, and then we so Jesus comes and raises him from the dead, which is a big deal, right? This is not like a small thing. Like it's pretty exciting, and you're kind of grateful about that. So it wasn't like some random woman walked into the store with a milkshake and poured it over his head like a YouTube prank. They weren't doing this for the TikTok. Like This was something that was about the beauty of what had happened in her life to bring it to Jesus. And it's interesting because by this point, most of these guys... Know that Jesus is going to die. In fact, John 11, uh, the, Thomas the disciple says, Let's go with him that we might die with him. This is not a news flash at this point, but here's the beauty of this whole thing. She is anointing his body for burial, which is a recognition that not only was he going to die, but that he needed to die, that there was something bigger than any one of us here had, could have ever known. And by anointing it to be that way, she is endorsing the death of Jesus. What was Peter's response, right, when Jesus says, I'm going to die no, no way, you can't do this. I won't let it happen to you. And Jesus says, the thing you really are not looking for when Jesus is speaking to you, get thee behind me, Satan. <laughs> but what he was saying to him was this, do you do not have the things of God in mind, but the things of man? And look, if, if my friend, you know, if, if Don, my friend, and he says, I'm going to die, I'm like, I don't want Don to die. I want, to do, I want him to stick around. So Peter's response is not like out of left field, but Mary's response actually is out of left field because she is now saying, I know you have to die and I am going to be okay with this. I'm anointing your body for burial. That was a beautiful thing that she had done for Jesus. And when she, you learn in John that she poured it over his head, right? She poured, that is how you anointed kings. When Samuel would anoint David as king, they would, pour oil. So you, you know, you essential oil ladies, Edie, like this, is how you made Kings back then, right? This was, this wasn't just a business model. This is how they anointed Kings. Pouring it on his head, anointing his body for burial was a statement that said by you dying, you're going to be the King. I'm anointing you as King. And in our lives, one of the most beautiful things we can do is when we admit that we needed Jesus to die without his burial there will be no resurrection for any of us. Without his resurrection, no resurrection for any of us. So she was submitting to, she was literally the beautiful act of this. And of course, Judas's act was an act of betrayal. You know, was it for the money? I don't know. I mean, if it was for the money, let's be honest, he's not a very good negotiator. All right, she just dumps a year's salary. That's what they said this would have been worth. And he gets 30 pieces of silver, not much. But here's the, the deeper point, is when you're betraying somebody, the real motivation is about getting my will done, not his will done. Right? That's true in marriage. If I've betrayed my spouse, it's about my will, not her will. If I have betrayed my government, it's about me getting my will done. And so what Judas was doing was betraying, saying, this is not my will, uh, this is my will. And so he's asking Jesus to submit to his will, not submitting himself to Jesus' will. And if we forget for a moment that we don't know the end of this story, and by the way, if you don't know the end of the story, um, spoiler alert, in 2,000 years, the statute of limitations on a spoiler are up. So if you don't, I'm not really sorry. But Judas is about to betray Jesus a lot, and he's going to die. Okay, so that's about how it's about to happen. We know that from hindsight, but in foresight, they didn't know any of that about Judas. He's just one of us. He gave up everything just like they did. He went and laid hands on people and healed people just like they did. And when I remember that, it's easier to make Judas a monster because now I don't have I don't have anything in common with Judas. If it's if he's the monster, I can say I got nothing in common with that guy. But if I take a step back and I don't know the end, I actually I, I see a lot of myself in Judas. Because what I see is I have an agenda. I have my will that I want done. And sometimes those moments where I have betrayed Jesus to my agenda and not submitting myself to his agenda. Gang, we see that in politics all the time. We're seeing it on the right and on the left, which is not thy will be done. It is my will be done, and I'm going to attach your name to it. I'm betraying you to this, or I'm betraying you to that. Something really interesting happened in just the last year. Any Methodists in here this morning? You can open, you can raise your hands. Yeah, we got one. God bless the Methodists, John Wesley. Great work around the world. But in just this last year, a Split has been forming inside of the Methodist church very specifically about whether or not marriage should be between one naturally born man and one naturally born woman. And they did a big vote on this, and it was nationwide. And it was interesting because the vote didn't pass. And here's why it didn't pass. Because the African church, thousands and thousands of Africans, Methodists said no. And what was interesting was the conversations that were happening, and I've had these from my African brothers and sisters, them telling me, why would you come here? How arrogant are you to come here and to tell me what my morals should be? Why is it that your culture gets to be the one that says what the culture should be nationwide? Interesting, isn't it? I mean, you want to talk about white privilege, let's talk about white privilege. That's white privilege. I'm a white guy. I'm going to come over here and tell you that these are my morals and you have to bow to my morals. And what they're coming and saying is we're just, and I love this, one of my friends in Kenya asked him about Bible and their knowledge of the Bible and he said the most hilarious thing. It's like, Darren, these kids live in the slums. We give them a Bible and they read it. (laughs) Like what, really? (laughs) Like all of it? Yeah, they just read the whole thing. (laughs) The point being that They're just saying, we just want to read the word and do what the word says. And this is what a a bishop, after they made a statement in in Africa, this is what the Kenyan bishop said. Because one of the mega churches here in America said, well, we should withdraw all of our funding from these African churches if they're not going to do the way that we want to do it. And this Kenyan bishop said, and I quote, we are not going to sell our birthright for 30 pieces of silver. Wherever you land on the issue, okay, you take it to the the Lord, you take it there. But when you go to, whether it's Africa, whether it's Nepal, whether it's Asia, and you have to admit that if I'm going to let the culture tell me what is right and what is wrong, I just have to ask whose culture is it and who gets to win, as opposed to saying, and understandably we'd bring cultural lenses to the scripture. I understand all of those conversations and arguments. But at the end of the day, we just have to do what Jesus says. And what does he say here in the word? And the only way we know what Jesus said is because of the word. That's the only way. And you have to admit that if you're saying something that Jesus didn't say in here, that we don't know that he said it and you're making it up. Would you can be If you admit it, that's fine. But at least you have to admit it, that this is what we know. If we're going to go to the word, and I know that's a big ticket one. And maybe some of you right now, your, your, uh, your butt cheeks are a little tighter. You're like, ooh, this makes me really nervous. I'm very nervous right now. Just relax. We love you. Hopefully you love me. And say that Jesus, we're all taking this to Jesus. Right? We're all coming back to him saying, what is Jesus saying? And to relax, say that I love you and I hope you can love me. And say that we have to admit that what I don't want to do is take my agenda to Jesus and betray him to this new agenda so that my will is done and not his. And that is on matters across the board, not just in sexuality, not just in abortion, but also in our marriages, is in the way that we treat our spouses. It is in our own sexuality, whether it's you're married. There's, the Bible has a lot to say about that. Don't betray Jesus to that. That's all I'm saying. The beautiful thing. What do I want my story to be? Do I want my story to be one of betrayal? Or do I want my story to be one of beauty? Do I want my story to be one of surrender or of silver? I mean, that's what she was doing when she poured it all out. She didn't come in there and spritz it. Uh, My my son, has uh, he likes the cologne. (laughs) Like quite a bit. (laughs) You know, hate the game, not the player. I don't know, but he... He'll come in with a spritz of this or a spritz of that. And, you know, and And let's be honest, if you're a parent of a middle schooler, that's not a bad thing. <laughs> right, you know what I'm saying? There are other odors that you could be battling, and I'm, I'll pick this one all day long. and <laughs> Like some Axe body spray. I mean, I, you know, I'll take it, whatever. But that's not what happened here. She didn't come in and just give Jesus a spritz and save some back for the rest of it. She broke it and poured the whole thing. It was a 100%... Complete surrender to Jesus. And I want my story to be that story. I have spent a lot of life. Has anyone ever broken a horse before? Do you know what I'm talking about when you break a horse? Oh yeah, Pat, of course you have. Oh yeah, Libby, you know. A friend of mine uh, named Larry, he's a crazy horse guy. Lives up in the uh, big South Fork National Park. One of his questions, he's asking, how many times you've been thrown from your horse? And if the answer is none, he's like, well, you ain't not ridden much, have you? <sighs> but the surrender of the horse. Okay, Bramble, you tell me I'm getting this right or wrong. But once that horse surrenders, it's not to an abusive situation if the owner, if the rider is good. Because that partnership with the horse surrendering becomes one of effectiveness. It becomes one of beauty and of partnership. A broken horse, a broken alabaster jar, if you've been broken, it's not a negative thing. It's a positive thing. The brokenness of this alabaster jar, I don't know many people that are fully surrendered that have not first been fully broken. And that surrender... And I say that because some of y'all are broken this morning. And you think that you've been, it's over. You think that this is bad. And I'm here to tell you that this broken alabaster jar is a picture of what a fully surrendered life looks like. In your brokenness, out comes the beauty. In the book of Revelation, chapter 2, there's this church called the Church of Smyrna, and it actually means crushing. And this specific perfume that the only way that the scent comes is when it's been crushed. And it's in the crushing that the beauty arises from it. She broke this alabaster jar as a sign of surrender. And of course, Judas, he went for the silver, 30 pieces, terrible negotiator. Wasn't even enough to buy an old, crappy piece of land that was full of just broken pottery. That's what we learn later. By the way, they were talking about how concerned he was about the poor. And John, we learned that it was him that said, well, this, this is an outrage. We could have sold this and given it to the poor. Judas got his 30 pieces of silver from the temple treasury. Do you remember a few weeks ago when we talked about where the money came to the temple treasury, a widow whose house was being devoured, giving all she had, nothing left to live on, put in the temple treasury. It was that where those 30 pieces of silver came from to pay Judas. He's concerned about the poor. I don't think so. In fact, it was, we know this because in Matthew 26, when it says that he was trying to give the money back, because by the way, whenever you sell your life out for silver, it's never worth it. He's like, he felt so much guilt and so much shame. He tried to give it back, and the Pharisees were like, we can't put it back in the temple because it's blood money now. And I might say this as an add on it's, it's not about the silver. I have known people with a lot of silver whose hearts are fully surrendered and i have known people with none silver whose hearts are not surrendered at all the silver isn't the problem it's the surrender that's the problem there is no nobility in poverty there is no nobility in wealth has nothing to do with that it's all about the surrender to jesus and look what is the best thing to do if you're the and i've ridden some crazy horses in my life <laughs> And sometimes, by the way, it's a pretty fun ride. But once they're broken, there's that partnership that Jesus, the guy that's holding the reins of your horse has holes in them, okay? He loves you. He is not going to steer you into a bad place. The sooner you surrender, you know that this is going to be where we're going. So it's surrender versus the silver. And the last thing is the intimacy versus the institution. She came into this house And she let her hair down. We know this from John chapter 12, verse 3. Pretty sure that's where it is. It's not on the screen, so if if I'm not, someone shout me out. She let her hair down. You You know what you do? You know when you let your hair down? When you're home, when you're safe. Every morning when I arise, I'm a side sleeper. Any side sleepers? That's more than I would have thought. When I say I'm more like a carp, like I just flop around all night long, but I wake up with my hair just straight up. And nobody, my family in the front row, they're like, that is a true story. Now I don't go to the coffee shop like that. Now in the eighties, absolutely. I want you to know that I would have absolutely gone out proudly like that. I would have paid enormous amounts of money to have accomplished that. But But I do it at home because I'm safe. This is my family. They've seen me at my worst. And they didn't leave. When Mary came in there and she let her hair down, there's an intimacy and a comfort there that had nothing to do. The room was full of people that were not her people. Full of people that did not want to see her let her hair down. And she let her hair down and she wiped his feet with her hair. See, religion could make them do everything else but that. Here's what I mean. There are a lot of religious people who can pray. You list off your needs. You list off your, your quid pro quo. You don't call it that, but that's what it is. It's if I do the, I'm do i doing this, God, and then you don't do this back, like that's religion. I've done all these things. Why, not? why are you not doing this back? That's religion. Religion can get you to give. The temple was full of people giving out of religion. Religion can get you to pour your stuff out. But religion cannot bring intimacy. It's powerless against that. And if there was a difference between Judas and Mary, is that Judas had everything right and still got it wrong. (coughs) He was following Jesus. He was doing all the stuff. And at some point, he just rejected the intimacy with Jesus. It didn't start overnight a little take from the, the the bag money bag here a little take from the money bag there and before long he's bitter and he's cynical intimacy with Jesus how long has it been since you've experienced that how long has it been right i've experienced like when we're uh, we're giving we're so ce- what we just did we give into the poor we're celebrating that that's awesome But how long has it been since you've really been intimate with the Father? The real acknowledgement of the desperation that without the work that Christ has done, without his funeral being interrupted, so to speak, without that, then my funeral will never be interrupted. And out of that is an intimacy that religion cannot. It just can't replicate it. I love this because it says that her story is going to be told. She anointed him for burial. There's almost like this acknowledgement that you're the king, but you're going to have to be buried. And for Mary, who just saw Lazarus, his funeral was interrupted. The realization almost that for my life to be interrupted, for my funeral, so to speak, to be interrupted, for my death to be interrupted, that Jesus is going to have to die, resurrect, just as he told. She heard all the things that he had said. For some reason, for Mary, it was connecting quicker than for the others. For those of you having that little debate about women in ministry, just let that sink in for a second. She got it before anybody else did. She did something beautiful for me. And I don't know. I I feel like for us, when we look to this, the intimacy of it, we could give every penny this church has right now away. We could build orphanages and we could build clinics and we can do amazing things and we could still miss the kingdom of God. But in the kingdom of God, out of that kingdom of God, out of the realization that Jesus poured himself out, Psalm 22 says, he poured himself out. Because he poured himself out, now we can pour ourselves out. He was buried and resurrected. So now that we in baptism can be buried and resurrected. And in that intimacy... I said it at the beginning, but I'm not faithful for my wife. I'm faithful to my wife. Because there's an intimacy there that has nothing to do with rules and regulations and policies and procedures. And honestly, if we don't know the end of Judas's life, if we just go up to this point and whiteboard out both of their lives, Judas and Mary, who do you think was doing better? It would have been Judas for crying out loud. Because on the outside he was doing great, but on the inside he was blowing it. And Mary on the inside was nailing it, even if on the outside she was not quite where Judas was. Now, be clear I don't think Mary walked away perfect. I don't think Mary walked away never sinning again. Do you think that? That's kooky talk. But she walked away surrendered, she walked away with intimacy. Judas walked away wrenched in his heart. And I don't want to give it away because someone's going to be teaching that in a few weeks about what Judas' end was. But I do want to say this and then I want to let you go. If you feel like maybe your life resembles Judas more than it resembles Mary, the temptation is going to be to go down a a, a guilt and shame. Okay. The gospel is not shame on you. The gospel is shame on you off you. Matthew 26 in the garden. Here comes Judas getting ready to betray Jesus. It's at night. It's during prayer time. He does it at night during prayer time because the crowds wouldn't be there. It would be safer. They could arrest Jesus without a mob. And Jesus walks up to Judas in Matthew 26 and says, what have you come to do? Friend, If you feel like your life resembles judas know this jesus is jesus is looking at you and saying friend his grace is aggressive his grace is radical his grace is amazing and his grace is for you this morning and i pray that you'll receive that grace this morning that your life resembles Mary, but even if it doesn't, if it resembles Judas more, know that Jesus is still inviting you to be a friend, and Jesus is still inviting you in. And His only request from you is to receive the finished work of the cross. His invitation to you is to say, "Not my will be done, but Thy will." It's so simple. I'd love to make it harder because when it's harder, it's easier. Because I can keep score. Until you're at the end of the life and you've lost track and you don't know. You know what I love about Richard Verbovsky, Laying at a place where he may not get to see the next few weeks or months. He knows that Jesus wasn't keeping score anymore. <laughs> he knows that he's not going to stand before Jesus with a scale of good and bad. He's going to stand before Jesus with empty and holds hands and saying, Well done, my good and faithful servant, enter in. And I want all of us to experience that as well. Stand to your feet. I want to pray for you. The gospel is that good, you guys. The gospel, when I realize what Christ did in my surrender to him, I no longer am trying to keep rules and regulations and policies and procedures. I just am trying to be faithful to him. In the same way that I'm faithful to my wife. Somewhere there is a contract that we signed. Was it a contract, a thing? I don't know. We signed something. A marriage license, one of those things. (laughs) That is not why I'm faithful to her because I signed a thing. I'm faithful to her because I love her. And our faithfulness to him comes out of our love for him, not out of an obedience. That's called a boss. That's not what you got, you got a savior. You have a a husband, a bride coming to you. You've got a father. All the language of scripture is about that. Heavenly Father, we give ourselves to you this morning in that we pray that this word is a light to us this morning in this year of 2020, that your word would be that light to us. Lord, for us to... Lord, we move tomorrow the needle towards beauty, the needle towards surrender, the needle moves a little bit more towards intimacy as your life, as your Holy Spirit works inside of us to transform us through the renewing of our minds. Thank you for that. You're so good to us, God. We're so grateful. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.